The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. 19th day of March PFT PM Podcast. Sorry we didn't do one on Friday. I apologize. But the West Virginia game was coming on. I can't even remember who they played. Something State. Murray something. I don't know. Had to watch the game, though. Part of extended hours of sitting on my butt down in the barn watching basketball. I can only do so much of the basketball. Saturday, all-day basketball. I actually spent, I don't know, four of the hours down there putting together a Lego set that my son and I bought on our last run over to Toys R Us. But now that we've put together all the Legos we bought, i got to go back and buy some more. God, that's the problem with that. It's both frustrating and fun to put those together. They have this architecture set with these tiny little pieces, and it's a pain in the ass to find them in the box. And it's one after another, and is this ever going to be done? And finally it starts to take shape, and then it's done. It's like, this was great. Now what do I do with this damn thing? I'm going to put this. So... I have a spot for the New York City skyline that was meticulously put together on Saturday while watching basketball with four or five other family members and friends in the barn wondering what in the hell was wrong with me. They thought I'd lost my damn mind smoking a cigar while putting together Legos, getting ashes in the box, but now it's time to find the next Lego adventure. Sponsored by Legos. The toy that both drives you out of your goddamn mind and forces you to find a place to put the thing when it's Finally put together. All right, moving on. Five down territory on this Monday edition of the PFTPM podcast. I want to start with this Jets-Colts trade. First of all, let me reiterate something I said on PFT Live. Hey, teams, don't be selfish and announce these big moves on a Saturday. Can you imagine what the news value would have been if you had just held it for two more days? Don't think of yourselves. What's wrong with waiting two days? It's almost like the Jets wanted to minimize the impact. If you're going to trade up to number three, then damn it, make sure the world understands it and give everybody the benefit of reacting in real time and web traffic spiking, radio show ratings going up, NFL Network, wall-to-wall coverage of the Jets-Colts trade. Come on, people. There's a business component to all of this. Now, either they didn't think about it or the Jets truly wanted it to not take over New York. I think there's a chance that the Jets don't know for sure what they're going to do with that third overall pick, that they don't have a clear flow chart. If this guy's gone and that guy's gone, then this guy's the pick. If that guy's gone and that guy's gone, then that guy's the pick. I don't know that they have it in ink yet. And I don't think they've ruled out trading out of that spot. Now that I've had 48 hours plus to think about it, Because my first reaction is this. You move up to number three, and there isn't a clear consensus one, two, three. You're not trading for a player. You're trading for a spot. 
Now, typically, you trade up for the player. And typically, unless it's clear-cut 1-2, and we've seen that before with Jared Goff and Carson Wentz two years ago. Rams go up to number one. Initially, people thought they wanted Wentz. Then it became clear they wanted Goff. So the number two pick is Wentz. You go straight up and get him. Understanding there's a small risk that the Rams wake up one day and say, screw it, let's take Wentz, Eagles are fine with Goff. This year, who's number one, who's number two, who's number three, who's number four? Nobody knows yet. Brandon Bean, the Bills GM, saying, we're not ready to trade up because we haven't finished our evaluation of the quarterbacks. You know, there's a chance they look at these guys like, we don't want any of these bums. But whoever they fall in love with, if they fall in love with any of them, they need to get in position to get them. So maybe you get to one and you get them. Maybe you get to two and you get them. Maybe you go to two and you think we're going to get Sam Darnold. You don't get him. It's like, well, the rest of them suck. I don't want any of them. Each team has to make its own evaluation. So with the Jets, and the knee-jerk reaction by everyone, mostly everyone, was they moved up to get a quarterback. Okay, fine. So that means as of March 17, they have not one, not two, but three quarterbacks that they would happily take in that spot. Because they have to assume that their guys, one, two, three, the first two are going to be gone by the time they pick. They have to assume that that's going to happen. You have to be prepared for that. So do they really have at this point, the team that thought Christian Hackenberg was worthy of a second round pick two years ago, do they really have a level of confidence on March 17 that there are three quarterbacks they would happily take to be their franchise quarterback, potentially the first franchise quarterback since Joe Namath. Do we really think that? I don't. I don't. I think that this was a combination of, now that I've had a chance to kind of ponder it and think it through, and who knows, I, don't, I may not know what the hell I'm talking about, but you're listening to me, so the joke's on you. Well, goodbye, there they go. <laughs> Nothing like running off the audience. Anyway, back to what I was saying, if you decided to hang in there. Maybe the Jets made the move to block the Bills from making the move. Maybe the Jets knew that they needed to make that move as a placeholder. They could still go up from there. They could still go down from there. That's the angle that I hadn't thought about and it occurred to me while we were doing PFT Live today and Chris Sims and I were arguing about what the Jets are going to do. They may decide, based upon who's gone at one and who's gone at two, that they're going to drop out of three. Because think of it this way. This is like the snowflake draft. Every team's going to have a different board. Every team's going to have its own view of who the best players are. So you take out the one pick, you take out the two pick. Of all the players left, there will be multiple teams out there that say, hey, our number one guy is right there at number three. Let's go get him. So that's an option for the Jets. That's a clear option for the Jets. Now, I also think that by boxing in the Bills... What the Jets have done now, they've forced the Bills to go to one or two. And we know if they go to one or two, what are they going to do? They're going to take a quarterback. So if the Browns go quarterback and the Bills jump up to two with the Giants, which if I had to predict any outcome right now, that's the one I'd predict. That at the appropriate time, when everybody's going to move to their bottom line position, it's a deadline-driven league. It may happen with the Giants on the clock. But if the Browns go to one, And the Bills go to two, quarterback, quarterback, number three, Saquon Barkley. 
That was my first thought. And people think I'm crazy. Well, let me tell you, first of all, there's plenty of other evidence unrelated to this specific take that would justify that label. But we're just two weeks removed from the entire football following world praising Saquon Barkley and suggesting that he should be the first overall pick in the draft. Have we already forgotten that? Now, full disclosure, the same reasoning that caused me to say that the Browns are going to be out of Barkley at number one, the decision to pay more than $5 million a year to Carlos Hyde in free agency, that kind of applies to the Jets, who paid $4 million a year in free agency to Isaiah Crowell. That if you're going to spend that kind of money on a running back, going all in on Barkley... Maybe you don't do it. But there's a difference between one and three. At three, maybe Barkley makes sense. At three, Barkley, a Jets fan who wants to play for the Jets, his dad has a Jets tattoo for crying out loud. If this is the guy that he's been sold to be. Now, he played at Penn State, and there's that Hackenberg connection. Maybe I don't know. Maybe the Jets should never, ever, ever, ever draft another Penn State player. Weren't they the ones that drafted Blair Thomas in 1990? Ever, ever draft another Penn State quarterback or running back. But I just thought when it all happened, this is Barkley. They're moving up to get Barkley. And if Barkley's gone, I guess they'll take Bradley Chubb or they can trade out of the spot. Because here's the other thing. If Barkley goes in one of the top two picks, then Four of the top five quarterbacks still available. All the more valuable to trade out of that spot. But they're not required to use that pick. We've never seen this before, but it doesn't mean it can't happen. Team trades up, then team trades down when the guy they've decided they want is gone. But I I, I like the potential strategy that is embedded in this move. Because it does give them flexibility if they decide to go all the way to number one once they finish their evaluation or to trade out of that spot or they sit tight and they get a guy that they really wanted. They get a guy who would be their number one. And the, there are reasons for not letting on what you really believe, what you really want to do. Obviously, if people know who you're targeting, then people drafting behind you know that they need to jump you to get that person if they want that person more than you do. But also, you want to be able to say, once the dust settles, we got exactly what we wanted. We played this exactly the way we wanted. And we got our number one without having to go to number one. So we win. Yes, we gave up three second-round picks, but we win. And that may be why the Jets tucked this thing onto a Saturday morning. And my guess is, once they reached a deal that... There was a deliberate decision to announce it on a Saturday morning. These things don't happen accidentally. They, 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 they don't. Okay, we got the deal done. When are we going to announce it? Well, we could do Monday. We could do Sunday. We could do Saturday. We, let's do Saturday. Because I think the initial reaction by plenty of Jets fans is you're giving up three second-round picks. Well, in our defense, we did piss away a second-round pick on Christian Hackenberg, so maybe we're not giving up all that much. But that's a lot to give up to move three spots. And if you follow the website, if you listen to or watch PFT Live, if you frequent this podcast, you know what I'm going to say next. This proves the value of tanking. 5-11 and 11 Jets, 4-12 and 12 Colts. Suck is suck. It doesn't matter. 
whether you're 5 and 11 or 4 and 12, who gives a shit? You don't make it to the playoffs, who cares how bad you are? Unless you're 0 and 16, that's a problem. Although the Browns, hey, so what? We're 0 and 16. Everybody's 0 and 0. If you don't care, and you shouldn't, once you don't make the playoffs, be as bad as you can be, draft as high as you can. Because if the Jets had earned, air quotes, the number three overall pick in the draft, they wouldn't have had to give up three second round picks to get there. There is benefit in tanking. The NFL will never admit it because the NFL, number one, doesn't want to change the draft. The NFL wants the draft to stay as it is. Well, as it is, it rewards you for being as bad as you can be. Integrity of the game, my ass. You're thinking about next year, or at least you should be. So you empty the bench with your young players. Ownership tells the front office, who tells the coaching staff, put the youngsters out on the field. And we're going to embrace being bad because that's going to help us be good sooner than later. Teddy Bridgewater, second down, is an intriguing player in this drama in New York. They got five quarterbacks under contract. If they draft one, and I still don't think they will, I don't know. If they draft one, they'll have six. Bridgewater could be the odd man out. His guaranteed money on his one-year deal with the Jets, $500,000. million base salary, not guaranteed. It becomes guaranteed as a practical matter the first day of the new league year. No, I'm sorry. The first day of the regular season. I'm so used to saying first day of the new league year. It just kind of pops up at time to time. First day of the season, regular season. It becomes guaranteed as a practical matter. So the Jets can cut him before then and owe him not another penny. They'd have to be willing to say farewell to $500,000, but that's what they're paying for the privilege of evaluating Teddy Bridgewater. They get the chance to bring him to the facility, put him through the offseason program, put him out on the field during training camp, put him in some preseason games. Does he have it? Does he not? He doesn't. All right, cut him and save the $5 million. That becomes more likely if they draft a guy. And if they draft a guy, then what Teddy Bridgewater has to ask himself is, okay, do I play this game with the Jets because I know I'm going to get some reps in the preseason and I can put some film out there that someone can say, hey, this guy can still play after all? Or do I start clamoring to be released or traded? Remember when Sam Bradford, he got an $11 million signing bonus from the Eagles and then they traded up to number two to get Wentz and he was pissed and he wanted out of Philly. And he eventually decided, all right, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll make lemonade. And then they traded him after Bridgewater tore up his knee. So if I'm Teddy, I don't know how I feel right now. I'd want an assurance that they're not taking a quarterback, a private assurance. I won't tell anybody. Are you taking a quarterback? Because if you're taking a quarterback, let's just not do this deal. And there was a delay in announcing his contract. MDS noticed that. Sunday morning, he said, hey, Bridgewater hasn't been announced yet. They've announced every other guy they've signed. Every other guy's on the roster. Bridgewater's not. So we posted it, looked into it, and it's funny. Nobody wanted to say anything until we posted it. As soon as we posted it, oh, yeah, he's passed his physical, and it'll be announced soon. Well, why didn't you tell me before I made it a story? So I guess he could have not signed the contract if he truly didn't sign it until after the trade was announced. Maybe that's why they held the trade. Maybe they wanted to make sure he signed before they announced the trade. Because now, what does he do? He's got the $500,000. What does he do? So, this has the potential to get even more intriguing, especially if the Jets go quarterback. And I did a little math, very little math, before the podcast began. 
the final analysis for the three Vikings quarterbacks last year versus the new quarterback this year. Kirk Cousins gets $84 million fully guaranteed at signing. The three guys who became free agents and each of whom left, Teddy Bridgewater, 500000 Kirk Cousins, $25 million, Sam Bradford, $15 million. That's $40.5 million for three guys combined in fully guaranteed money at signing. One guy got more than twice that amount. So that tells you what the Vikings think about Cousins and what they thought about Keenum, Bridgewater, and Bradford. Third down, and Dominican Sue still on the market. No one quite knows what he wants. Does he want to max out his compensation? Does he want to pursue a championship? The Rams' interest in him is fascinating to me. Can you imagine Sue and Aaron Donald together? Holy shit. Can you imagine that? What do you do if you're an offensive line? Do you come up with some new formation where you stack offensive tackles wearing fullback numbers behind the the guards? Do you go too deep? Do you have barricades? I think that's what you have to do. I think what you do is you split the tackles wide and you, well, how do you do this? You split the tackles wide and you make them, well, no, you just split the tackles wide with their tackle numbers on. And then you take a couple of other tackles. Maybe you put the backup tackles wide, spread them out. You take the starting tackles. No, no, no. Keep the no, let me try that again because I'm thinking this through on the fly. Keep the tackles tight with backups. You take your starting tackles and you put them in eligible numbers and you put them directly behind the guards or you put them in the gaps, almost like bowling pin arrangement. So you got center guard tackle and then in the A gaps, just put two fullbacks who are actually your offensive tackles. Or your backup guards, or just go out and sign more interior offensive linemen. But that's the what do you what else do you do? What what you have to come up with a specific formation to deal with Sue and Donald if they get him. Now I don't know if they're going to get him because again I don't know what Sue wants. I think Sue just wants the attention. He wants to be wined and dined. Take me here, take me there. I'll go here, I'll go there. At some point he's going to pick a team. At some point somebody's going to make an offer. What are they going to offer? And if it's the Rams, what's Aaron Donald going to say? I wrote about this earlier today, and it's one thing to say we want to sign Aaron Donald. It's another thing to give Donald what he wants. If he wants market value, the Rams may say, you're three years away from hitting the market. You're still in the final year of your rookie contract. We can franchise tag you twice. We are picking up three years of injury risk if you want the kind of contract that you would get if you were on the open market. And he could say to that, well, Von Miller got close to the top of the market without going through two years of the franchise tag. Well, fine. But Miller at least played all five years of his rookie contract before the Broncos paid him. So what do you do? How do you find the right number if you're the Rams? And I think that's one of the reasons why a deal hasn't been done yet. I really do. And getting Sue on board, that's the kind of thing that that complicates matters. And that's the kind of thing that's going to make it harder to get Donald done if they pay big money, whatever big money is at this point. I don't know. For defensive tackles, the franchise tag's 13-9. Sue averaged 19 under his last deal on a six-year basis. It ended up being $60 million over three, which is $20 million a year. I don't know. I don't know. But 
whatever the Rams would pay Sue, Donald's going to be saying, yo, hey, I want mine. I wa- I've wanted mine, and I haven't gotten it. Think about that. Donald held out right until the day before the start of the regular season last year, and he ended up becoming the defensive player of the year. Another free agent making the rounds, Terrell Pryor. I'm fascinated by what he can do if healthy. Because he was plagued by an ankle injury most of the year. He did that one-year deal with Washington. The thinking was he's going to explode with Kirk Cousins. He had 1,000 yards in 2016 with a revolving door of nothing at quarterback. But the ankle injury resulted in surgery, injured reserve. And now he's probably going to do another one-year deal. Seahawks, Jets, and Browns in the mix. I don't know that I'd go to Cleveland if I were prior. Because they have Corey Coleman, Josh Gordon, and Jarvis Landry. I don't know where I fit. I want to go to a place where I think I'm going to be at least number three on the depth chart. Because you're going to want to play, play well, prove yourself, and then go out and get another contract. The clock's ticking on prior. He turns 29 in June. How many more years is he going to be able to play? He's still a newbie as far as receivers are concerned. At some point, people are going to say, sorry, Terrell, you're too old. You're too new to the position. You're too old. We're going to go with somebody who is younger, has more tread on the tire, and that we can assume is going to stay healthy longer. Fifth down, Josh Johnson signed by the Raiders. And look, I have supported Colin Kaepernick as fervently as anyone. But you got to understand, this Josh Johnson move is all about having a veteran who can run John Gruden's offense and teach it to Derek Carr and anyone else who's on the depth chart. Josh Johnson was drafted in 2008 by John Gruden. They were together for one year, fifth-round pick in Tampa. So that's what it is. And you can point to some of these other guys who have jobs and say, how in the hell does this guy have a job and Kaepernick doesn't? And here's the other thing to keep in mind when it comes to Kaepernick. Nobody's going to sign him as long as this grievance is pending, the collusion claim, essentially a lawsuit with depositions being taken of owners. It pisses them off enough that you sue them. It really pisses them off if you force owners to submit to the authority of anyone other than themselves. That really pisses them off. You got multiple owners now being questioned by this guy. They are going to be pissed off and want nothing to do with Colin Kaepernick. And the only way he's getting back is if it's part of a negotiated settlement of his collusion grievance. And I think the NFL is sufficiently hard-headed that by the time the NFL would cry uncle, they'll be so far into the ropes that Kaepernick's just going to kick them through. So don't read anything into that Josh Johnson signing, but there's already enough out there as it relates to Kaepernick for people to say, oh, okay, we know why we did what they did, and we know why they're doing what they're doing. And I know that there are people saying, oh, here he is being political again. Do people understand there's a difference between taking a political view and assessing a business situation and exploring the factors? Whether it's right, whether it's wrong, that's just the reality of what's going on. That's why he's not signed, and that's why he filed the grievance, and the hard-headedness that the NFL has shown through this process, and the coordination the collusion among owners, as as instigated by the league office, Kaepernick's lawyers believe. And I think they believe they have the evidence to prove that the league office was instigating that, that process. That uh, is the thing that 
that potentially will prove collusion and could shake up the NFL. And I'm looking forward to going to the league meetings last week, next week and hearing some of the buzz now that some of these guys are being questioned. The, the smart move would be for no one to say anything, to never even mention his name. All right, I'm going to answer some questions now. We wrap this thing up. My God, 64. The, the questions keep getting higher and higher. Of course, some of them are highly serious. X's and O's type analytical inquiries. The Rick Rosen asks, could a ham tornado beat a walrus volcano? Is that something I should know? Is that a reference to something that I'm not nearly young or hip enough to understand? Maybe it is. And another very important question from at Christopher 8289, divorce soon, keep the dog or the kids? And D1 Benchwarmer says the dogs. I'm going to abstain from that one. At Rev Markworth, when Chris Sims said Geno Smith is better than Eli Manning, did you want to smack him or just laugh and laugh at him? Both. I wanted to do both. It was, it was good TV and radio because he said something outlandish that we could then pounce on him for, and we did. And you know it's got to be completely over-the-top outlandish for stats to take my side. He always wants to go opposite of me. That's just how he's wired, and he doesn't like the fact that I'm rude to him. He acts like he doesn't care. He doesn't like it. So he's always looking to go contrary to me. And even he, with a straight face, couldn't say that Geno Smith is better than Eli Manning. But Sims thinks he is. At B, thank you for listening to PFT Live, by the way, Rev Markworth. At B-Flow Faux Show, is Sims crazy for thinking Sue will change anything about his attitude? What in his history would lead us to believe there is even a chance of this happening? Nothing. Here's the thing. If you sign Sue, you have to sign him for who he is and accept him for who he is. Now, there's nothing wrong with being who he is. But he's not going to come in and be a vocal leader. He's not even going to be there in the offseason. He's going to do his own thing. You need to understand that and embrace that. You need to want that. Not tolerate it. You need to want it. Your attitude needs to be, fine, I don't care. We got leaders here. Guy wants to work out on his own. Fine. You know what? I don't want him here anyway. He eats too much food. They don't have to pay him the per diem, and we don't have to feed him. Sue, just do what you want to do. We don't want you here. We want you to be here under your terms. We want you to be here in a way that you can be the most productive. We're not going to put any pressure on you, no stress on you. We don't want you to be here for the offseason program. All I have to do is convince him that's true. The rest of us can say, oh, that's a load of crap. But you know what? He needs to know that whoever signs him is embracing him for who he is. I'm not going to be there for the offseason program. I may make a cameo appearance, but that's it. And you need to have a defense that operates the way that he prefers. And you need to have a little edge, a little nastiness. You need to encourage that. You need to support him when he becomes a habitual line stepper or a crotch kicker or a guy who whose feet have gone numb and he doesn't realize he is crushing the shin and calf muscle of Aaron Rodgers. You need to understand that's who you're getting. You have to embrace that. He's not going to change. He's been around too long. People don't change once they've been around that long, especially when they continue to get rewarded financially for who they are. So you better accept him for who he is. If you try to change him, it's going to be a disaster. At Tree Two, Tree True, if Richard Sherman makes the Pro Bowl as a replacement, would he get the incentive? You know, that's a good question. I need to look into that. 
Does Richard Sherman have to make it to the Pro Bowl on the first original team in order to get both his $1 million incentive and to trigger guarantees that kick in? $16 million in guarantees that kick in if he makes it to the Pro Bowl. I don't know. i got to ask that question. But we see it time and again. Guys make it to the Pro Bowl, and then they're not available, either because their team made it to the Super Bowl or they're injured. Now, if Sherman gets on the team and can't go because he's injured or because his team's in the Super Bowl, he qualifies. The question is, does he qualify if he's not an initial designee of the Pro Bowl? I need to look into that. At in absentia 83, will the Giants stay pat at two? If they do, is quarterback a real option? I think they're going to trade down. I think that they are going to trade down and they're waiting for the right time to do it. They have too many holes and Dave Gettleman, the new GM, is going to have too many guys he's going to want to swap out. He's got his vision of how a team should be built and there are guys there that aren't going to mesh with that vision. So some guys go, some guys come in and if you're in the midst of that kind of transition, the more draft picks you get, the more opportunities to reshape the team the way you want it to be reshaped. So I think they're going to be likely to trade down. They may get hard-headed and price their way out of a trade. Even if they do, I think that that uh, they're going to end up um, not taking a quarterback because I, I think that they're all in with Eli Manning until he's done. And they don't want another ugly, awkward scene like they had last year when they tried to bench him for Geno Smith. I really don't think they want that. They can't have that again. This is ultimately an entertainment business, and you need to win hearts, minds, and wallets, and you need to have fans who are behind you. And if the fans get pissed, that's not good for anybody. I think they're all in with Eli Manning until Eli Manning is done. At New Era Taker, what are your thoughts on the PMT news breaking machine? They've been they've been breaking some some stories, and here's the thing. They, they develop relationships with their guests, so their guests like them, and their guests are telling them, like Cordell Patterson, recurring guest, has pointed out in the tweet yesterday, apparently he gave them a heads up. And you know what? If it's accurate, then that's great. The problem is, they used to, like, screw around and poke fun at the idea of breaking news. You got to take it seriously now, because if you get one wrong now, you can't just say, oh, well, who cares? We don't break news. Now that you're starting to get credit for it, you got to take it seriously. And I think they know that. You can't screw around with it anymore and treat it like a joke. That That's the challenge. It can't just be on our terms. Of course, they do everything on their terms, so maybe it can be. And I don't mean that in a negative way. That's good. I like that. But if you're going to get credit for breaking news, the other side of it is you can't just be, you know, running scams and having fun and seeing if they can screw around with ESPN to get them to, to repeat something that's an April Fool's Day gag. Once you burn people that way, they're not going to listen to you the next time you have something good. It's just the way that I think it works. All right. At LG Suarez, why do you think we haven't seen more safety free agency splashes? Well, I think that the safeties out there maybe want a little more money than what teams want to pay. Safeties and defensive tackles, the markets move slowly. And I think the market always moves slowly when the players on the market want more money than the teams want to pay. So I think that's the bottom line. Now, Tyron Matthew did his deal, took less from the Texans than the Cardinals were willing to pay on a, redu- on a reduced deal. But I think some of these other guys just, the teams are waiting for their expectations to soften 
and then you swoop in and you buy. The overspending period ended by Friday, I'd say, maybe even earlier. Now it's all about waiting for the right guys to make the right moves and accept the right deals. And that's why, like the Colts, the Colts didn't jump into free agency because they didn't want to overspend. So now they're going to spend on the guys who are left. And you sacrifice your chance to get some of the most desirable guys, but maybe you end up getting guys dollar for dollar better than if you had jumped into the front end of the free agency pool. At Valley Man 12, which guest have you had the most on PFT Live? Tom Curran, Michael David Smith, probably Curran. Probably Curran. I don't know. MDS has been on plenty. Darren Gant's been on a lot. Dating back all the way to when the show launched as a web-only show in January of 2011. My God, that's been a long time. It was a web-only show for a while. Then it became a radio show that was simulcast on the web. Then it was just a radio show for a little while. Then it became a radio show simulcast on NBCSN. Probably all the way back to January 2011, I'd say that it's it's MDS. Just because he's been with us. He's been a key part of what we do ever since PFT Live uh, became a, uh, a thing. At Sheck Brandon, what do you see the Vikings doing in free agency the rest of the way? I, I don't know that they can do much. They got Sheldon Richardson. They got Kirk Cousins. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's some bargain shopping loose ends that they do. Maybe they wait until after early May when the compensatory draft pick formula turns off. Although, good luck getting any compensatory draft picks next year when you go out and sign Kirk Cousins and Sheldon Richardson. I don't care who they've lost. They lost Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, and Sam Bradford. But you do net gains and losses, and it's a complicated formula. But the thing is, if you wait until after, it's like May 11, May 12, something like that. If you wait until after that, anyone you sign, it doesn't count as a as an addition for the purposes of, of hurting your compensatory draft pick haul. And anyone you lose after that, it doesn't count to your favor. So a lot of teams will even wait until early May, until that date comes and goes, to add more players. I think from the Vikings' perspective, they just have to be smart about what they spend, and they need to be thinking about the guys they have that they want to try to keep around. At Black 88 Elite, is Chris Sims on the booze? Because that's the only way I can see him saying Geno Smith is better than Eli. He's not on the booze. He may be on El Dopa, but he's not on the, he's not on the booze. Another one from Black 88 Elite, just reminding you, even if the Giants kept Geno Smith for the rest of the year, the Giants couldn't lose enough to get the first pick because that would require the Browns to win a game. Good point. Good point. Yeah, the Giants weren't earning the first overall pick. They did as well as they could based upon the fact that there was no way the Browns were going to get out of the number one spot because they weren't going to win a game. At Terry Gensler 14, I've been riding the exercise bike while listening to your show. It passes time well, but when Chris Sims says dumb shit like Geno is better than Eli, it makes it harder to ignore what I'm doing. Hopefully we make it easier to ignore because you get upset and you engage in my side of the debate but we'll take that under advisement i will tell chris sims no more dumb shit please at nfl draft polls when should quentin nelson be drafted i mean there's talk he's going to be a top 10 guy because of the emphasis on interior offensive linemen and trust me anybody's got the rams on the schedule if they get aaron donald and dominican sue there will be a premium for quentin nelson although none of the teams in the division well, the 49ers draft ninth. I'd say the 49ers should take him. 
at nine. If they think he's sufficiently mobile to do the Kyle Shanahan version of the the, the, the zone blocking and all of that stuff. But you're going to need to avoid the interior of your offensive line getting destroyed by Sue and Donald if that's what happens. At Black 88 Elite, is it possible since the Browns are interested in Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, the Jets only moved up to three because they like two quarterbacks who aren't Allen and Darnold? Look, if the Jets moved up to three to get a quarterback, they have to be certain that there are three quarterbacks that they would be happy to get because they have to assume that number one and number two on their wish list will be gone. You have to assume that if you move into three. You're affirmatively moving up before the pick is on the clock. You better be damn sure that you're happy with whoever could be there, and you need to map it out. You need to say, okay, let's try this scenario. This guy goes, that guy goes, here's number three. How do we feel about that? We love it. Okay, let's try this scenario. This guy goes, that guy goes, this guy's there. How do we feel about it? We love it. You have to play out all scenarios for all potential first and second overall picks, and you have to be able to say, I love it with whoever you get at number three. And if you don't, then why are you doing the pick? Unless you did the pick to hold a place and you'll worry about it later, whether or not you love the guy that's going to be there at three, and maybe you will trade that pick before it's all said and done. And I know that sounds crazy, but crazier things have happened. At SuperMike09, based on the teams in play for Sue, do you see him as a major contributor or a high-end rotational player? Also, would he be effective in a 3-4? I don't think he's effective in the traditional 3-4 because, and remember the Albert Hainsworth signing in Washington, and Mike Shanahan made him a defensive tackle in the 3-4. You have to convince that guy to go against his nature, the 4-3 up the field pass rush. Now, and I haven't studied the film of the way the Rams played defense all year last year, but they, they found a way to make Aaron Donald highly effective. So you adjust your scheme to suit your players, and that's what Wade Phillips would do. Who cares? You call it a 3-4-4-3 hybrid, whatever. You, you use your guys on the line to create havoc. And in the classic 3-4, the nose tackle ties up bodies, two or three of them, while the other players go to the football. And I think that's part of how Sue was being used in Miami, and I don't think he liked it. You have to let Sue create havoc. You have to let Donald create havoc. And you have to have guys who can fill the gap if you see offenses use tactics aimed at taking advantage of Donald and Sue clearing out a big space of real estate as they blast through the line to try to get to the ball carrier. That may sound overly simplistic, but I don't think it is. I think it's that simple. You create a hole in the defense if you let both of your tackles just barge through one gap and get into the backfield. You better have somebody who's there to ensure that that you're you don't have a gaping hole where you can, you know, put the football in that spot that's been vacated. Almost like the screen pass mentality where you let the line come through and you go to the side, you could do a little middle screen and there's nobody there. You better have guys who can get there. At Paul Fitz Dose Dose, do you know anything about the NFL Sunday ticket contract with DirecTV? Instead of partnering with DirecTV, it seems the NFL could sell subscriptions to stream live regular season games like the NHL already does. The infrastructure is already in place with NFL Game Pass. I've spoken to people who say that at some point the NFL could cut out the middleman and do its own streaming service for its games, where you don't have to take the money from DirecTV, you take the money directly from the fans. Now, the question is, does the business model work that way? Because most of these TV operations are partnering with the NFL because that gives them a way to otherwise profit. For example, NBC, Fox, CBS. 
you overpay for the NFL because then you have a three-hour window where you can periodically push your other products onto the audience. And you can carry a big audience into your primetime show. If you're Fox or CBS, when you've got that 425 p.m. Eastern kickoff, you deliver a gigantic audience to 60 minutes or whatever's on Fox. For DirecTV, it's all about getting DirecTV customers. Hey, you can only get the Sunday ticket package on DirecTV, so you got to go get a dish, you got to get all the stuff. I know there's other ways to do it now, but you got to be a DirecTV customer, so DirecTV makes a hell of a lot more money that way. I mean, that's what I did in 1997. I went and got a DirecTV hookup, and I got Sunday ticket. That's the only... I got to get DirecTV. Okay, see you later, cable. Got to get DirecTV. So can the NFL charge enough and make enough by selling the product directly to fans to offset the money that DirecTV or someone else would pay, the premium they would pay, in order to justify getting in business with the NFL? It's that simple. At Andrew Yeh, can you explain how Cousins' contract is fully guaranteed at signing? Wasn't his signing bonus only $3 million? Can he be cut next offseason and not receive the rest of his contract? Also, did any teams offer him a percentage of the cap? Let me start at the end. I don't think anyone offered him a percentage of the cap because he only signed a three-year deal. If he had a four-, five-, six-year deal, that's when we get into the territory where you would want protection against a spiking of the cap and your final years looking bad in comparison to the market. So I don't think anyone offered him that. It was a three-year fully guaranteed contract, either from the Jets or from the Vikings. I don't know what the Cardinals offered. Mike McCartney, his agent, told Peter King only three teams made offers, Arizona, New York, and Minnesota. Can he be cut next offseason and not receive the rest of his contract? Yes, kind of. I have not seen that there is no offset language in his contract, which tells me there is offset language, which means if he'd be cut after this year, any money he would make elsewhere would be counted against what he would be owed by the Vikings. But the thing is, if he has the kind of year that gets him cut after one season, no one's paying him at a $28 million a year rate. So the Vikings would owe him a large chunk of money. Brock Osweiler, for example, last year, $16 million fully guaranteed. He was cut by the Browns. The Browns knew they were going to cut him when they traded for him. They decided, let's keep him around because we have reps to distribute in the offseason program, training camp, preseason. Then they cut him. The Broncos signed him for 775000 The Browns were on the hook for $15.225 million. So that's how it would work. He can be cut and not receive the rest of his contract, but the Vikings would be responsible for the difference, and it would probably be a significant one. The signing bonus of $3 million is a salary cap tool where you, you spread it 1 million, 1 million, 1 million over the three years of the contract. What matters is everything fully guaranteed at signing. He's going to get it all. He's going to receive it all. And that's how it's fully guaranteed. Now, the Vikings have to put a certain percentage of that in escrow. I think it's 75, 80% that has to be put in escrow right now. Not all of it. But you got to write that check and you got to set that money aside because of the funding rule that was put in place to protect the players against potentially insolvent teams. Now, it protects players against getting fully guaranteed contracts because owners don't want to put the money in escrow. And they're good for it now. It's a stupid way to give the owners a way to say, sorry, we're not going to fully guarantee your contracts. And even though it's only, well, even though that Cousins is a fully guaranteed deal, it's only three years. When somebody gets a fully guaranteed four-year, five-year, six-year deal, that's when we break... New ground. And remember this, 
the first 20 or so picks every year in the draft, they get four-year fully guaranteed contracts. That's just the way it is. It's part of the trade-off for no longer paying those guys ridiculously huge money. At Terry Against the 14, what's your favorite episode of The Office? You know, I've been working through right now watching the series. And I'm trying to think of the ones that really make me perk up. There are several of them. I don't know which one's my favorite. I like the carpet. I like various of the Christmas episodes. I like Pam and Jim's wedding. I don't know. I I really like a lot of them. The basketball episode is one of my favorites. If I had to pick one, it would probably be the basketball episode. Because that's the one when I conclude, you know what, this show's pretty good. But most of the episodes in season two, most of them in season three, season four, it, it only, for me, it started to lose some of its steam after Jim and Pam got married. And then after they had their baby, then I just, after Michael Scott left, then then it, it just, it fell apart. Which just shows you the value of, of having, a, having Steve Carell around. All right, back to real questions. At Terry Against the 14, new head coaches have extra access to players by starting OTAs early. Should new players sign in free agency be able to have extra access with head coaches or coordinators after signing? I mean, look, I a new head coach gets to have an extra three-day minicamp. Now, I, I don't know. Should new free agents have extra access? I, I don't I I don't know. I think they should change the rules. I, I don't believe that players generally don't want to show up to watch film. But Kirk Cousins made the point on PFT Live on Friday. You have to have a limit. Otherwise, players are going to feel compelled to be there every day like the coaches are. Some of them want to be there. Here's who you want to protect. You want to protect the guys who really don't want to be there but feel compelled to be there. That it enhances their chance of making the team. I mean, that applies in high school. I remember when a kid was playing high school football. Hey, if you really want to be on the team, you show up for voluntary conditioning. Well, then it's not voluntary, is it? That's the way it goes. So there has to be a line somewhere. The problem is there are guys like Derek Carr who are dying to work with John Gruden. And there are those who assume that it's not otherwise happening anyway off the grid with no one in a position to know about it. Not that I'm saying it is, but if it is, it probably wouldn't be the first time it's happened. At Jordan Ulven, does the addition of Mo Wilkerson to the Packers help the pass rush enough to make the secondary look any better? I don't know what Mo Wilkerson they're getting. And they signed him to a low-risk deal because they don't know which one they're getting. I like the fact that the Packers are willing to bring in free agents. Between Jimmy Graham and Mo Wilkerson and signing Kyle Fuller to an offer sheet, I like that. I don't think they know what they're getting with Kyle with, with uh, Mo Wilkerson, which is highlighted by the contract that he signed. Terry Gensler, 14, I know you're Italian, but did you drink Jameson while watching Marshall and WVU in honor of St. Patrick's Day? First of all, they didn't play on St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day was over, so I don't. I barely acknowledge St. Patrick's Day. I definitely don't acknowledge it the day after. And I, I, I had to get up at 5, so I had a little wine with dinner. I had a little wild turkey and Coke Zero. Right? I went and got it at halftime, not much. And then uh, when the game was over, it was straight to bed and up at 5. Uh, at Joe Geiger Jr., two times in a row that the Vikings start the season against a conference title opponent, Saints, and now the Eagles, what gives? Well, you're talking about when the Vikings had to go to New Orleans for the 2010 Week 1 game after that classic, epic NFC title game. That made sense because that was such a compelling game. It was so compelling, it changed the rules, and it ultimately resulted in the bounty scandal a year and a half after they got together again to start the 2010 season. 
I don't know that the NFC Championship game was good enough to justify a rematch. I'd rather see Falcons-Eagles. That's the game that actually was in doubt. I'd rather see Cowboys-Eagles. Now, here's the thing. We don't know what the game's going to be. And just because there's a report now that it's Vikings-Eagles, it could change 50 times between now and and the announcement of the schedule. So I'm going to wait for the announcement of the schedule. It's intriguing when someone who essentially works for the Eagles, I think Howard Eskin is still the sideline reporter for the Eagles radio network or whatever it's called. But uh, so there's some credibility there, but it could change. It could change. And if it's Vikings Eagles, great. If it's Cowboys Eagles, great. Whatever it is, great. It's the first game of the year. It's on NBC. It's cause for celebration. And we look forward to seeing what the game is going to be. But the NFL has... A, a long history now of giving us good games to start the season. At Exegus, what did Adam Schefter say to you when you made fun of his glasses? Well, that's an oversimplification of what happened. Let me just give you a quick refresher for those of you who weren't listening to the PFTPM podcast at the time. It was Christmas Eve 2017. I was home that day because we had the Packers-Vikings game Saturday night. Flew home early was working down in the barn, watching the games, and prior to the games, I saw Adam Schefter in glasses that reminded me of glasses worn by Morty Seinfeld in the popular Seinfeld series. I texted someone in the media that, and I think this is a direct quote, Shefty is starting to look like Morty Seinfeld with those effing glasses. And that was the text I sent through the iMessage app, or what is it? Is it an app? It's the iMessage program. You open it up on your on your computer. So that's what I did. And somehow it got sent to Schefter as well. And you got to be careful because like when you're ty- if you start typing in, if you're not sure you're typing in the body, it autofills. So when I put started typing Shefty, it put in his number and it got sent to him. So I felt bad, uh, I don't know, for about a minute. And then I thought, ah, screw it. Who cares? I mean, would I, I, don't, would I have said it to his face? Probably not. So, okay, I, I screwed up. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? There's worse mistakes I could have made. But that, it was a blunder. I didn't mean to do it. I meant to, you know, make fun of his glasses behind his back, not to his face. And then when he responded, good one, a-hole, go F yourself. That's when I realized that, uh, you know, I, uh. I don't feel bad anymore. So uh, the response allowed me. It was a Christmas miracle. The response allowed me to put down my guilt. Uh, the, the hostile response made me feel less bad about the uh, the situation. I think I've already told that story. So it's not like I'm saying anything I shouldn't say. And who cares? It happened. It's true. It's factual. I still have the text message. All right. God, what are we doing? I should probably wrap this up. At Terry Gensler 14, everyone is worried about the Patriots, but don't they always skip out on the first wave of free agency besides Stephon Gilmore and pick up the leftovers and cap casualties? Yes. When they acquired Stephon Gilmore, that was the first big money free agency acquisition they had since Adelius Thomas, who didn't really work out. Now, Gilmore worked out better. Gilmore ends up being the number one guy to replace Malcolm Butler, who's now gone. But that's what they do. The smart teams wait and wait and bargain shop. That's what they do. So, we'll see what the Patriots do. At Sergio D, was Richard Sherman the agent that negotiated Teddy Bridgewater's contract? He got screwed. And you know what? I just got word, and and I made a mistake when I characterized his deal earlier. It's 500000 guaranteed, 
but it's also a $500,000 workout bonus. So he will get a million. It's a million dollar investment because he'll show up for the workout program. So they get a million to evaluate him and then they can choose to pull out if they, if they want before the $5 million becomes due week one. So it is a million. I need to go back and fix that. Did Richard Sherman negotiate it? Well, look, it's the best deal he could get. Who else was going to trust Teddy Bridgewater? Who else was going to pay him big money? Remember the leak at one point, four teams view him as starters? I said bullshit then, I say bullshit now. Four teams weren't viewing him as a starter. Come on. All right, I should probably wrap this up. Let me see what else we got here. Is there anything else here? At Dara Riobe. Does the signing of Cordell Patterson mean Matthew Slater is all but gone in New England? That's how I interpret it. And people say, oh, wait, Matthew Slater's a gunner and Cordell Patterson's a kick returner. No, Cordell Patterson in 2016, his last year with the Vikings, became a gunner. He became a jack of all trades. And that's the kind of versatility that Bill Belichick likes. And it's more versatility than Slater has because it's not just special teams versatility. It's actual receiving and running. You can move this guy around. He can be a Swiss Army knife, and that's what Belichick loves. Line him up in the backfield. Line him up in the slot. Line him out wide. Now, there's some issues with route running that they need to work on, but speed and versatility, that's what attracted Bill Belichick to Patterson. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, they'll cut the cord on him because we know that's what they do. All right. Looking through here. Walking the mile. Walking the mile. Probably call it. It's been an hour. Thank you, as always, for some of your time on this Monday plan is to do it again tomorrow pft pm like to do three or four a week we're going to orlando next week for the league meetings i don't know whether or not we're going to be able to get any pft pm podcast then but at least this week we'll shoot for three or four of them minimum thanks for your time pft live tomorrow and then uh pft live every day this week 6 to 9 a.m eastern nbc sports radio final two hours simulcast on nbcs and you know all that stuff by now i don't know why i'm wasting your time thank you talk to you tomorrow you can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.